It is possible to be a serious barista without being too serious. Hello everyone, my name is Nicole and welcome to She's the Barista. Today's guest has been working in specialty coffee for over 12 years. After working part-time as a barista in several coffee bars in Utrecht, the Netherlands, she started her full-time coffee career at Single Estate Coffee Roasters, where she is currently responsible for all training and education. She's a mother and married to a loving husband who works as a police officer. She started competing in 2011 and on her way to the world stage, she also volunteered many times behind the scenes. She also is a big advocate for making the coffee industry more inclusive and diverse. And she would love to see a more equal representation of men and women in both the industry and the competition stage. Here are some of the titles she won. She placed 14th in the Dutch Barista Championship in 2011. And she placed second in 2016. Until she finally won the Dutch Barista Championship in 2019 to compete in the Worlds in Boston. And of course, now I think I need a little bit of a drum solo. She is the World Aeropress Champion 2019. She also loves bouldering, is a great dancer, and but what I can tell, she's an amazing chef. And in another life, she would have made a great career as the most colorful hairstylist. On top of all of that, we have the same coffee socks. And it is such an honor for me to now say hello to Wendelin van Bunik. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Hi. <laughs> I hope you're well. Um, thank you so much for being my guest. And my first question is, did I forget anything? <laughs> uh, no, no, not at all. It, it sounds um, a lot more impressive than it feels. Um, <laughs> yeah, one, one thing straight, though. Um, I'm, a, I'm a terrible chef. Um, oh my god that's not yeah. true i'm seeing your instagram um yeah I, I, stories I, I, and... enjoy, i enjoy trying but <laughs> the result is not very good okay um, maybe you're so... a great barbecuer yes I, well I'm, I'm, <laughs> i i i am a great attempter of barbecuing and and you know baking and stuff well i don't necessarily bake that much um but yeah i i like trying let's just leave it there <laughs> I think I think you're in general a person that likes to uh, try out try. a lot of things, right? <laughs> no, just in general. <laughs> yeah, um, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Cool. I, I um, do, uh... Just just to interrupt you for a second. Um, at the start of the podcast, what you didn't hear yet is that I said a quote from you, um, and the quote is the following: "It is possible to be a serious barista without being too serious." Yes. I love that quote because I can really connect with that. And do you remember when you said it and in which context you said it, maybe? Um, yeah, I think I, I mentioned that when I was uh, being interviewed for Brista magazine um, because it's something that I learned about myself over the years. Um, 
because I think um, when I started working in coffee, I was obviously uh, a lot younger, a different phase of my life, and I was just intimidated all the time by everyone basically around me, um, assuming that everyone would be better at making coffee or tasting coffee or talking about coffee or, um, you know, just better in general than me. And Mm. um, yeah, I was just intimidated a lot and quite easily as well, even though I didn't necessarily know someone else. But as long as they just spoke out pretty loudly, I was like, oh, that sounds, you know, that makes sense. I'm sure that person... (laughs) That person seemed to know what they're talking about, and I had no clue. Um, so, yeah, and, and it, I was starting to, because these people seemed to take it so seriously, I kind of assumed that I'd have to become pretty serious myself as well. So, you know, I'm, I'm a person who's, who then tends to start overcompensating and, and trying to make up for that hole that I thought was there between my skill and knowledge and, and those mysterious people or not necessarily mysterious but more loud people more present ones Mm. um and and i realized well first of all i become pretty obnoxious um when i try to do that because you're not staying true to yourself and Mm. secondly i just it i started taking it very serious myself um like started taking my career super serious and and coffee in general and and the skills that it took and and uh, competing competitors started becoming you know super serious and a lot of pressure came with that as well uh, pressure I put on myself and um I think I you know you just I started losing the fun in it Mm. and I think especially people like us I think the general thing when we start in coffee, obviously we don't know what we're doing and there's always going to be people that are better than us. So I can absolutely relate to you feeling a little bit like, oh, the others all know more than me, but that's so normal and so natural. And um, I can recall absolutely that I started putting so much pressure on me and trying to toughen up and, and act like a super over pro whilst, I mean, I know you and you know me, we've by now admit that we're absolute goofs <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. and we're not ashamed of it anymore um, yeah, but no. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think the thing is like when I was working coffee for like two years and I kind of started to get to know a little bit of the scene in in my own hometown like the specialty coffee scene I started thinking that to become part of that scene I had to become one of them like to become well a hipster basically um mm. and and to become someone um well i thought at that time i still thought i was a chame- chameleon and i could become anyone that i wanted to be um so i started listening to you know different kind of music that that my uh, colleagues liked and i started um dressing differently and i started i, I tried to fit in and mm, the, the whole the whole metam of yeah the whole yeah like making yourself yeah it's the lifestyle and exactly you know the more i tried to do that the more i noticed two things first of all it 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 didn't feel comfortable it felt awkward and and you know um i i felt like well i was very much aware that i was trying some trying to be something that i was not um which was like a cool hipster um and then the second thing i noticed is that 
people didn't necessarily it didn't work like people didn't necessarily like me more because I was trying to fit in um it it kind of it, it puts people off more than it um it, it had the effect that I wanted which was mm. to be accepted and, and appreciated and valued as as a you know as as one of them um so yeah that I had to like go over that pretty quickly uh, which was a painful lesson uh, and I think over the years um you know I started doing more and more stuff that I liked for instance you know when I was 26 I started um, coloring my hair because it was just something that I've always wanted to do and I figured you know what um if I don't do it you know I might become 40, 50, 60 years old, and I've never tried it, I'm going to regret it forever. So I might as well do it now while I'm relatively young. Um, so I went from my own color, which is like a, just a normal blonde um, colored, like to straight up purple in one go. And then and you never... yeah, made the whole rainbow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And I, and I enjoyed it so much. I felt like it fitted so much more like I made my outside match my inside a lot more yeah. and that just made me become myself more. And then I, I'm sure you can relate that every time I got a new tattoo, I felt like I became myself a little bit more and yeah. I'm still in that process. But um, yeah, it's, it's just a matter of like, no one can decide for you, you know, who you are, what you can become. I've totally accepted the fact that I'm very uncool um, <laughs> um, and in that in that you are so ridiculously cool because um once you took off the beanie and once you've stopped trying to be the cool barista behind the bar you developed such a like you have so many skills I remember you coming up to me I mean this is a little bit of a jump um but I remember you coming up to me in Boston being like oh let's have a drink let's just have fun in this crowd where sometimes I was in these barista um, after parties and I was just like oh I can't do this I can't do that there's all these international people and you're just like oh I don't really care and and you're just so easy going with all of this and I think this is by the way a very very strong start to our podcast because letting go of an image that you're trying to fit in and just starting to be yourself and doing whatever the fuck you want has made you such an impressive person and will continue on that way and I think you're such a good role model for other people um so yeah that's just what I wanted to say to that. <laughs> that's that's pretty deep yeah um I think it's you know I I try not to worry too much well the thing is the more you become yourself and I, I think you can relate to this as well mm. the more you become yourself the smaller the circle of people mm. becomes that oh yes you yes <laughs> um, people that do fit you know they they like you for who you are yeah. so at first I was so busy with trying to um, maintain an image that I thought people would like um, and now I have fewer close friends and and you know my people might appreciate the idea of they think this who I am um, but I, I don't really spend too much time worrying about that anymore I just invest the time that I have uh, in the people that already know what kind of person I am and, and are willing to stick with me anyway. And, mm. um, you know, I, I can, every time that we hang out, um, I still get that little sense of, oh, she's such, you like, because you've got such a unique style that fits you. And then that makes me feel like 
uh, insecure as well. Like, oh boy, um, no, never. (laughs) I just dress like a crazy lady. I don't know, but that takes so much courage. uh, That that makes me realize, like, oh, you know, that that she's going through the same process. But because um, if people would only look at that outside and be like, wow, she's so crazy slash brave to just wear whatever she wants to wear, or in my case, like, get the crazy hair colors that she wants but never have an actual conversation with you then they might think that you're like super unapproachable super cool and Mm. and scary person um but then if you actually read the stuff that you post under the picture Mm. which is personal and which is like open about the struggle you have then i'm like you know that that's you can stop at at the image or you can you know try to have a conversation and i think um, the one thing I do have going for me is that I'm always um, pretty easy with making a first step. Like mm-hmm. I, I come to terms with the fact that I'm I'm easy with breaking the ice. And at first I was very judgmental about that for myself because I thought like I'm always that loud person. I'm always that one, you know, cracking shitty jokes. And um, But I've also started noticing that if you put me in a room with 10 people, I'll be the one that makes like the the you know breaks the ice and makes the awkward comments and you know it's a little bit of the clown but there's always there's going to be nine other people who are like introverts and who are super grateful that there's at least someone mm. saying something and kind of diverting the attention and um, that relieves some of the pressure of the the nine introverts at the in the room so I've kind of you know accepted that about myself as well yes that might mean I'm a little bit loud at times Maybe some people will find that obnoxious, but, you know, there's always going to be a lot of people who are kind of relieved that I'm like that as well. <laughs> yeah, and it's also a sense if of... that makes sense. Yeah, and it's also <laughs> like, especially when we're talking about people that don't know you personally, um, when you see anything on Instagram, it's, it's a little bit of realness in this a big coffee industry where you see all of these... Um, like really styled up people that promote a product or anything like this. And it's, I think it's very important to have people like you to represent real people in this industry, because that's what this industry is. We're all normal, real people. Um, And the next thing I want to ask you is because we're all real people and we probably all, had a life before coffee. There's a thing that I don't know about you. Um, and this is what did you do before coffee? And what was your, like, I mean, you must have had a dream job. My dream job, for example, was being a hairdresser. So I'm very, I'm envying your oh. hair skills a lot. <laughs> Remember when I was eight years old, I cut all my Barbies hair. And I want to be a hairdresser. <laughs> that was very cool. Um, yeah. So what did you, um, what was your dream job and what did you end up doing after school? Well, that's, um, that's, a, that's actually a complicated question because I think when I grew up, I wanted to be pretty much everything from an astronaut to I I actually the last thing I wanted to become when I was in in high school um was actually a chef Mm. so that's that that's funny uh it's a good thing I didn't do that um because as I said I have zero talent (laughs) for for cooking um that would have been a very short education but um (laughs) I just stick to eating um but um yeah I wasn't really unfortunately very busy with thinking what I wanted to do I was more 
thinking about what my parents mm. wanted me to become. So I did go to university. I studied English, which now actually comes in handy every now and then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I, I knew I liked reading books. So I went to, to university to study English and to like read up on poetry and, and Chaucer and medieval English and all sorts of stuff that I had no idea how I was going to use it, but I was at least enjoying it. Um, but I, I never really knew like this is what I want to become because I was more thinking about, you know, the path that my parents had um, thought out for me. Mm. Um, so that, and then I think the first time that I actually did something that I really wanted to do was when I finished my university degree and I became a teacher because that was like, wow, you know, at least, at least that's a job. Mm-hmm. It's a proper job. It's a really I, I good of, job. <laughs> wow. It's, it's a, you know, I was, I was teaching English in, in, in high school and um, it was fun. I liked, I liked kids because they were honest with me mm-hmm. and I liked like this 16 year old adolescent, you know, kids that give you a big mouth and I could just be, I felt like I could be, straight up with them and and you know the slightly younger ones tended tended to start crying when you're being too verbal with them so (laughs) I was more suitable for like the a little bit older kids Um, but so I kind of I liked teaching a lot but I was also still working in coffee then um, because I could only find like temporary jobs Um, so it's a quick question when did you start so obviously you started working in a cafe to yep. during your um, studies, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah. So yeah, because cool. I, I spent my third year of my my uh, college in in Ireland in Galway, um, and then when I came back uh, for the last year to finish my bachelor degree, um, yeah, I had to find a job, and um, I started. That's how I kind of accidentally got into coffee, and then I kept doing that. I I had to go at a master's degree as well for like six months and then realized that was that was making me miserable Mm. um so i i started teaching um because i did get a a degree for that and i liked it it was fun um i was i was pretty good at it i think i had a good connection with with students but teaching was also very um i imagine it being tiring I think yeah, you need a lot of skill, like a lot of social skill to be able to go in there and be, it's, I remember for me, that yeah, teachers. For me, it was mostly, yeah. there was a lot of stuff not related to actually the actual educating children. Or maybe the like system. The yeah. Yes. That was mm. like, there was a lot of meetings with coworkers, other teachers that I, who are like in the, uh, in the profession for over years and years who have lost their their spark, their, their hunger to teach those young souls some, some inspiration. Like when I became a teacher, I wanted to become, I don't know if you've seen the movie, The Dead Poets Society oh, with Robin Williams. You wanted to be yeah. the one, just stand up yes. on the tables and <laughs> let your spirit oh, fly. Yeah, that's, because I was, yeah, I was straight out of college and I studied mm. English. So that was like the, the, the zest I had. And, and um, But obviously, you know, real life wasn't like that. And it was mostly like, checking um, tests and, mm. and doing a lot of work that was not standing in front of a class inspiring young souls. So, um, now, and, and obviously, you know, the, the pay was shit. There was so much more hours of work you put in mm. without getting paid, which was still important to me back then because I thought I was going to be 
rich and and have a luxury life lifestyle or i thought that was important to me then um because i was you know told that that was something that i needed to strive for mm-hmm. to have like a comfortable life um but because you know so basically taking that jump into working in coffee full time when you had the opportunity was literally the first step into making a bigger life choice that was actually for me like the one thing that I wanted and I remember because I was like 23 or 24 then and I remember because my parents were very nervous about this choice Mm -hmm. um, because they said like because they were literally like you know if you're a teacher you you have a steady job you know what's ahead of you you know your career path you know what the future is going to bring um, it's going to be great because you'll be able to combine it with the family easily. You'll get summer, like they had it all figured out. And I was like, yes, but what? I like yeah. it. I don't love it. And, you know, the coffee, because I was still make, working in a coffee bar on Saturdays, because Saturdays are obviously the fun days. Um, and I knew that I loved that. So, yeah, it was the biggest, it was the first time I think I actually made a big life decision that went against what my parents had in mind for me. Um, and, and I just haven't looked back. And that is such a big step. And it is, I think, not just a decision, you phrase it against your parents' plan, kind of like what they had, but it's, it really is a, a social model that applies to a lot of young women. I mean, I studied after school something I had no clue about. Um, so something like law and, and sitting in an office all day and I was miserable. But I did it because I thought um, I graduated good and I like have to do a good job. And um, job. But yeah, we need a proper a job, job, a real job. Yeah. 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 And then going against that, working in coffee is takes a big step. And also like you kind of like went from the one model that society maybe gave you to the next model where you thought, oh, you've got to be a cool barista um, yeah. until you finally decide to just be yourself. That is such yeah, a thing in between. Yeah, that is such a wow. It is such a wow thing. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> when did you start dancing? Because um, uh, there's a big jump because um, and when you when someone of my listeners would follow you, will follow you now after that, definitely <laughs> um, on your Instagram, they see you are an incredible dancer. It is so impressive how you do it and everything. And um, obviously, you must have started a long time. It's so really, really freaking good. Um, and did you start it as a distraction? Did you start it as a... Hobby. I was already doing, yeah, it was. It's always been a hobby. It still is. Um, I started doing ballroom dancing when I was still in high school. Ah, okay. Um, I've been doing that for a while. Um, then, uh, in college, I I started doing. I started taking up salsa lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, because salsa was is, is a dance that you can do. Uh, it's a partner dance, but you can do it without a partner. So you can just you can take classes, but you don't have to like with traditional ballroom dancing you go take classes with your steady partner and you dance with that person the whole time um, but with salsa it's a lot more social so there you can take classes and not necessarily bring your own partner you can go to salsa parties and you uh, get asked to dance um and you can say no as well <laughs> you can say i want to i want to dance with the mirror <laughs> okay. think, no but that, that's actually like because that's one of the things that i had to learn 
um, that took me so much struggle how to because you know on the dance floor you soon started noticing if you go to regular parties like which guys are the creepy ones now with with partner dancing it's very traditional mm -hmm. like the, the man invites the lady to dance and then you well you have an option but it's polite to say yes but mm -hmm. sometimes <laughs> so I used to say yes all the time and then you end up going through a horrible minutes with creepy guys Mm. who have hands in places that is not taught in class. Mm. Um, and I didn't enjoy that, but they sensed that they can, you know, that they can cross your boundaries. So the next time, the next week, they'll ask you again, and then you'll be polite again. And then you say like, sure. And you'll grit your teeth and you go through it again. And then after a while, especially when I start, when I met my husband mm -hmm. and he would kind of, um, you know, kind of, because we were both dancing and um, he could see me kind of struggling sometimes with, with certain dance partners and he started to kind of push me to practice saying no and not necessarily say, well, I started first because it was more comfortable. I started saying no with an excuse like, no, I was just about to get something to drink mm. or um, no, thank you. I'm not feeling well right now. But then I'd feel rude again because if the next guy came over to ask me and I did want to dance with that guy, mm -hmm. then obviously that's very rude towards that guy that you just rejected. So I was very busy with like still, you know, pleasing everyone, my own boundaries. Yeah, mm. protecting my boundaries while pleasing. And what my husband then helped me um, to learn was how you can be like polite, but still clear like no thank you is enough of an answer I don't have to explain to you why I don't want to dance with you like you can ask me and it is my you know it is it is my right it is my power to say no thank you in a friendly way like you don't have to be rude but you don't have to explain why you say no I don't have to have a reason I don't have to tell you in your face that you're a creep mm. um, but I can also just be like clear and not have to excuse myself um, so that was what, what salsa dancing, you know, taught me in that whole, uh, in the whole journey about myself. Um, so, besides the fact that, you know, the moment you go to a salsa party, it's freaking summer. Oh, which is something we need here in Holland. Yes. <laughs> um, so apart from the good vibes, it, it was a very positive thing for you, for your, for your own self-esteem and for being a little bit more clear in your, in your will to say yes and no. Yeah, oh. yeah, because it, I think in, in salsa, because it's so um, technically such a macho, traditional uh, little world where, you know, the men lead the women, mm -hmm. um, I thought that that meant that um, that means you have no voice, no say. And, and the funny thing is that I, the more I, the, the better I became at dancing, um, I, I noticed it was the other way around, like the, the men are allowed to invite you it's like they're asking you a question and it is up to the lady to follow that like to to actually answer that question with yes i will listen to you or no so it's you have so much choice rather than you know the guy tells you where to go and you just go there and look pretty it's actually i feel like salsa dancing is the opposite from that it's like the guy can ask me to go somewhere and it's up to me to be like sure i'll indulge you or no i don't feel like it that way so you have to kind of earn the fact that I will follow you, that makes following uh, a dance partner so much harder than just 
you know, putting your mind to zero and then just do whatever someone tells you to do, oh. which it makes it very empowering. Yeah, it's very empowering and you get a great feeling of your body. And I think you can um, transfer this skill to a lot of situations in your real life. Um, to to it, Sometimes it's just a mindset to realize that you have so much choice. You don't have to fully follow any any stigma, any social um, constructs. You have all the choice in the world. Yeah, and there's always going to be one or two people still sticking with you, even though you make the choices that maybe a lot of people don't understand. There's always going to be, you know, you don't need all of them. You just need the one or the two um, that will stick, you know, stick by you or stay by you through everything. Um, as long as you stay true to yourself, because the one, the one person, obviously, you're going to be stuck with for the rest of your life is yourself. So, yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to spend more time pleasing myself rather than everyone around me. And then even if I start thinking about people around me, I, I make it like a distinction between which ones I decide to kind of indulge. Um, you know, obviously, a husband and kid comes first and then some close friends and then you know, nothing for a long time and then maybe some other people. Wow, that is um, very empowering. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, just, I just try to get like my priorities straight. <laughs> <laughs> and you've, you've mentioned it a couple of times now. Um, you are one of the few people in coffee that are actually competing that I know that are um, mothers. And I find it fascinating. I couldn't imagine... Um, being a mother doing this job because especially with everything you've achieved what we are going to discuss in a couple of minutes um, is it very very um, I mean obviously it's the, the most joy that you can have but when you got pregnant did it change anything that you thought oh I've got to change careers now I've got to why am I not a teacher anymore this is um, dangerous or anything yeah it, it, it did um, well, my biggest fear was um, when I got pregnant that it would um, kind of put me on a on a diverted path, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like I would have, I felt for a long time that I had to choose between career and and family, mm -hmm. um, and I still feel like that sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. But I think um, it's it's more. I think that was more in my head necessarily than it, it was in real life that because I'm lucky to live in, in a country where there's a great, um, not perfect, but pretty great work-life balance. Um, and I work in a company where, where there's people are kind of, well, encouraged to have a good work-life balance. Um, but it was, I think the mo thing I struggled most with was was that little voice in my head that told me like when I'm at work I need to be like super perfect professional and people can't notice the fact that I have a family or that I'm a mother oh, wow I'm, you know, mm. breastfeeding or um because you thought that so makes I, you that makes you a little of an authority yeah yeah wow yeah, yeah. and and uh, and then when I was at home I thought like I'm not allowed to talk about what's occupying me about my work or that I made I had a great day at work for instance because I made an amazing cup of coffee or had some fun customers or whatever because at home I need to be like the, the perfect mother you mm. know, 
worrying about, you know, healthy dinners for my daughter and God knows what groceries and, you know, the mental load of, of, of a family that for some reason accidentally seems to end up on the women's plate mm. still. Um, but, and also I think you need to, it takes some time to figure out what kind of mother you are. Um, I'm not the, I'm not like the super maternal type. Um, I think my biggest relief when I, when I, when my daughter was born and a couple of months after, especially when I stopped breastfeeding and the hormones kind of settled down to realize that I was still the same person. Yeah. I think that was literally the biggest relief. Like, oh, I didn't completely change characters. And I was, when I was still pregnant, I was pretty worried that not, after, you know, the baby would be there, nothing else would interest me anymore, but my, my family and my baby and, I was so relieved to notice that I still cared about my work and my career. And even though, you know, the practicalities changed, like I had to start working one day less. Um, but I really didn't want to, even if we could afford it, I did, didn't want to start working less than four days because I just liked working. So I liked the person that I am at work. I knew that I wanted to do still a lot of stuff. Like I wasn't done. Mm -hmm. Um You kind of like knew that you had more priorities than just just a single um, yeah I, I, I single still focus resent that idea yeah I, I still resent that idea that that I chose and that exactly yeah. I chose to have a kid that means that you stop getting that option of having a career and I think I I I think that women feel that feeling stronger than men. Um, Oh, definitely. But, yeah. I'm terrified. I'm terrified of the thought of even maybe eventually being pregnant. I'm just like, oh, no, But no way. There's so many women out there doing it. Mm. Like there's, there's Michelin star chefs here in Holland. There, there's a couple, um, like he's a chef and she's the maître. And they have like a, a two or three star restaurant and they have three kids. I mean, they combine that crazy, you know, 80 hour work week with with raising three kids and they all seem perfectly fine i mean they all seem healthy and happy and obviously you know even if you're a stay-at-home mom and your only occup occupation is raising your kids you can still fuck them up so yeah. there's no guarantees <laughs> and, and you know the one thing i know for sure is you're gonna make mistakes in, in raising your kid um so it's just a matter of like what you feel like right now i'm feeling a lot of pressure to have a second baby <laughs> because obviously you know one baby is is, is not enough oh wow <laughs> um, even though we just you know things are just starting to get easier now because she's turned three yeah she's, you know, like, oh yes had terrible <laughs> uh, and now everyone's like be happy you're getting a bit late to start on your second one um because you which is again the outside boys the outside yeah. boys talking to you being like um you should by the way um That's the thing. Like, I feel like I'm making a very odd decision. Like, I've, I'm always feeling like a little rebellious, saying, like, I'm not sure if I want a second one. Like, yeah. I'm kind of okay with the life we have now. Like, it's still pretty, you know, first of all, we have one healthy, happy kid. That's a miracle in itself. Yeah. Um, so it's only going to go, you know, it might become worse. Um, I, I like my relationship with my husband now mm -hmm. uh, and I now know the strain that you put on your relationship with you know newborn and pregnancy and hormones and god knows what 
I'm not necessarily so keen. Like, I don't know. I keep options open. Mm -hmm. All I know is like right now I'm kind of okay with the way it is. Um, even though I know it's like the standard to have two. And then all these arguments that people like, but it's so sad for if you just have one kid because they'll be lonely and you want, I mean, I have brother, I have a brother and a sister and it's great. Mm. Um, I wouldn't want to miss them, but you know, that, that's not a guarantee. Like she, I might have a second kid, be miserable for a couple of years. I might, you know, it might bring my, put stress on my relationship, you know, and you can't really give them back. No, the kid is like, you have to be so sure that you want to go through it. And with the first one, obviously you have no clue, but with the second one, you have a, well, a little bit more of a clue. Um, and, and I'm just not convinced. And, you know, if, if you say yes, and you're going to go for it, you know, you better be sure, or at least more sure than I am now, mm. because I don't want to, I think I don't want to, the baby doesn't choose to be born within your family. So that's a very um, selfish de decision to become to to yeah. become pregnant actually because it's Absolutely. it's you it's are yeah it's you are choosing to, to give well, life yeah yeah exactly so if you put a second one in your family um yeah you better be sure that you're gonna have to throw go through it all again and the the, the you know the thing just is that as a woman we we literally pay a higher price in in all sorts unfortunately that's just a matter of you know biology And I've accepted that. Um, it's not a matter of, I used to think it was super unfair, but it's just, you know, it has its ups as well. I mean, we get to experience pregnancy, which can be pretty awesome as well. Um, but the, the fact just is like, we just pay a higher price. Mm. So if we, um, even if my husband was super into having, you know, uh, having a second one, I'd still be like, sure, but <laughs> mm. I'm the one who's going to go through the pregnancy the labor, the recovering of the labor, the breastfeeding, the hormones. The emotional um, stress so, as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and, you know. Um, I mean, on the other side, so, what I can tell you is that you have also already proven to yourself, which is the only person that you have to prove things to, um, that you're a great mother and that you have gone through a phase in your life where you've put an external pressure on you as well job pressure you have performed exceptionally well whilst having a very small child and if someone can absolutely rock this then it's you um maybe that's that's a thought that you can have in the back of your head yeah. as well <laughs> yeah, i think i think you know once my daughter's gonna get older she's gonna realize at a certain point like now all she knows is you know mommy if mommy goes to work mommy makes coffee um <laughs> which is not I'm by just... far as cool as daddy's job oh. uh, he's a policeman <laughs> he right a, yeah mm. yeah he has a cool car that makes like sounds and everything um <laughs> yeah. that sums up daddy's work <laughs> yep yep something with with a stripy car that has blue lights um yeah but um yeah i, I you know i do think that i do think ahead a little bit of you know what kind of role model do i want to set for herself and I've actually been binge watching um, The Marvelous Miss Maisel recently, which is um, a show I recommend because it's it's about a Jewish woman trying to make it as a stand-up comedian in the in the 50s in New York, and um, because it's set in or in the 60s actually, 
and because you see the crazy things that the, the strain of thoughts that the women go through like the it made just make, made me realize how far we've already come mm. uh, as 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 women but this because they they really portray really well how women are viewed and how it's like super strange that you want to have a career like she's divorcing in the beginning of the series which is already like you know the mm. craziest thing ever um, but I still think like that's the path we're, we're in and, and um, yeah I think at these times it's basically we're being our worst enemies I think women tend to put a lot of pressure on themselves but also on each other more even so than men necessarily do can absolutely um, relate to that. And talking about pressure, I just want to quickly dive into a little bit of competition talk with you because obviously you are a world competitor and I shouldn't miss out on that. <laughs> um, your first competition was 2011. That's correct, right? And um, yeah. I mean, 2011, I didn't even know that coffee competitions are a thing, which is quite funny because we're nearly the same age, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, you have a very big head start of me <laughs> um, and then your next competition was five years later um yeah. is there a reason why it was five years later did you not um, do you not think so you're like I... ready or did you want to research more or was it more did you change jobs um yeah all of this all of this really. um i think the first time that i competed i um I didn't really see, because I had no idea, um, I didn't do any research, basically. Um, I just thought it would be, I could see myself on that stage, and I thought I could brew a decent cup of coffee. So I figured, you know, if those people can do that, I didn't know any of them anyway. So um, I was kind of um, ignorant, which gave me the confidence to get up there. And then after that year where I bombed, uh, um, <laughs> I, I started learning more and that's only when only then I became intimidated and I realized oh my god what I was what was I doing mm-hmm. and and I, I started looking back and I you know I was kind of the first time I got some help but I really was not feeling hindered at all um, by any kind of knowledge or skill I just I, just, I literally because I'd been working in coffee for at least a year I thought it was already pretty something, you know, I, I, I was kind of riding that wave of, of that beginner barista who thinks like they already know the way the world works because you have some like that first basic skill. And then after that, when I, because I, I kept working in coffee, I started learning more and I, I found a mentor and he kind of opened my eyes to, yeah, I, I don't know anything yet. And only then I started becoming insecure and I realized, oh my God, what was I doing? What was I thinking even going up there? And then, <laughs> then I started seeing all that build up and that, that, um, that work you have to put in. Yeah. 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 And, and, and then only then I started thinking like, oh, you have to be really good to even try. Um, but I mean, at I least, mean, sorry, at least still, um, even if you didn't play super well in your first competition, um, you had that less of ignorance to go up there, which actually started your career in competition, yeah, because yeah. That, that was the one thing that started you being like, well, I mean, I didn't do well, but I already did it. So I guess the, yeah, the second the time was I already knew that I liked being up there. Perfect. I liked, I knew that I liked being 
you know, thinking about the whole, because my favorite thing about competition is like the, the, the time before when you're like obsessed with water glasses, like you can't walk through <laughs> the city center and diving in every chinaware store oh, yeah. and kitchenware and then you're just like, oh my god these spoons would look amazing and then you find a tablecloth that is like just right and you spend so much money or actually in this case my then boyfriend's money <laughs> on who is now my husband thanks on that note <laughs> yeah yeah um on on like the perfect cups and water glasses and water like, things that you think are going to make a difference then um and it's just fun mm-hmm. um and then only later i start realizing oh wait i need to be able to actually have some skill as well you, start, <laughs> you know watching other voices like the ones that actually win and then you're like oh wait they've got like a structure and everything like a technical routine mm. and then you start diving into that and then that becomes your obsession but yeah it's it's i still enjoy you know finding that perfect napkin the most i think i think i have both as well like when i'm in in comp mode or like I say do you have this touchy thing like everywhere I go I'm like oh there's a sugar container or something I'm like oh this could be a perfect milk cup (laughs) I still do that though even though I'm not in competition season I'm not preparing for anything like a water glass can strike like oh that would be perfect nope 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 but I might buy them anyway like at least six to eight because you know you need spare so you know it's it's yeah I still do that because you never know like one day I might do it again and then I already have the perfect water glasses I mean it was good for you as a build-up because the next time you compete you came second which is quite impressive um and then the year after you placed first and this brings me back to the first time that we both actually met because then you competed in Boston um I watched your routine I loved the apron you were wearing as well and um I've seen you in the prep room the day before the competition because um the I was with the Australian team um and yeah that was scary that was it was even scary for me I was just watching (laughs) (laughs) and you how does she know these cool guys she knows like the whole squad it's scary (laughs) yeah Yeah. I just snuck in seriously that's that's a trick to everything just just join a group and then they stop asking because they're also stressed Yeah. become cool by association. exactly like, kind of like away. <laughs> I remember you being on the um, booth next to them um and I also kind of like know, knew all of the guys who were in your team so it's just like I was yeah. just standing around saying hi to everyone um <laughs> and then after the distracting everyone, I was just like hi <laughs> um and then after the competition um I think I've asked you if you want to compete again and you said that you wouldn't know because um you don't know if you can put this pressure on your family again and this was like a little bit of an insight for me realizing oh obviously I'm just here to watch the competition but I didn't even realize that you probably wouldn't have gone there without your like with your kid so your kid and your and your husband at that were at that time um in in the Netherlands right yeah so you had to go there without the support of your partner um and your child and I guess I was on top of all of this stress having for a world championship that must have been so hard yeah I think as 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 a uh, I think everyone uh, every mother can can relate to the fact that you're always torn I think that's the biggest problem of 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 having kids I mean from that moment on you're always torn 
between two worlds and you can never like you can't go to work without um uh you know kind of there's always a small part of you that wants to know what stuff is like at home mm. and then if you're at home you always kind of want to be at work, at work a little yeah bit. <laughs> so and i think um uh there was a lot of practicalities in more so than in in 2016 when i became runner-up like you have the same um you know practice time and and the road leading up towards uh, like a competition day um but that just asks so much more from your spouse um then if if there's a kid involved then without because obviously you can't you can't like train late in the evening or make long days or get up really early or be super you know preoccupied with all things coffee related but there's also a tiny human depending on you um and also you know a husband who every now and then needs a break so Mm. um yeah you're always basically you know trying to um yeah always trying to kind of balance these things out and obviously that's why you need to be so in it together like my husband knows from previous experiences um you know kind of how crazy it gets how much it Mm. preoccupies everything um the closer you get to the obviously it builds up it's like not you know or i like to build it up and kind of spread it out over the months and doing the brain work and then you know the last two months before a competition are like full-on full-time you know it's all you can think about especially the last like three weeks um so he knows this but he also realizes that that means that i'm not necessarily available maybe physically but not necessarily mentally as available mm. for him or uh, your child i think just your child doesn't get that so um you sense that of course which makes it tricky and then there's the practical stuff of like do you really want to bring your two-year-old who still does naps during the day to a different time zone mm. um which basically meant that my husband would be stuck in a hotel room, you know, for two hours a day during the day um, while I was off doing coffee stuff with, you know, I mean, he likes coffee, but he can only take so much coffee talk. Yeah, it's hard, um, it's hard when, a, when, yeah, when the partner is in the industry because it's just such a small universe. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it has benefits as well. Mm. Um, but I just need to realize because it's healthy for me to every now and then kind of put it off your mind as well. Like you can't always be because in the end it is still your job and it's very healthy to every now and then not be thinking about your job. That's why I tried to keep up with some hobbies because it is great for your mind to not every now and then not think about, ho- about, about your work. I mean, last summer, um, Actually, uh, the last fight I had with my husband was exactly about this because we were on vacation and we were camping and we decided to, we were visiting friends in Basel in Switzerland Mm -hmm. um, and it was all fun and we were like having a good time and then we decided to visit another friend, uh, which was Philip, my my Swiss uh, friend and, and coach from the competition and that just turned out into a full day of him sitting at the roastery well, we were completely nerding out about coffee Mm. and he was entertaining my kid and he was like, okay, this is where I draw a line because we were on vacation. Mm. Like you have vacation, you get to talk and think and do coffee like, you know, 50 weeks a year if you want. But this is two weeks that is family time. 
and here I am sitting at a roastery, you know, entertaining a kid while you nerd out about coffee. So it's, and I realized, you know, that's why there needs to be a balance. It needs to stay healthy. Um, and every now and then it should not be about coffee. And I think that having a husband who doesn't work in coffee um, kind of helps me to balance that out better because otherwise I would probably never stop working. Hmm. Um, one more quite personal question I've got to you, especially after Boston, did you feel guilty towards your family or did you think it reaches more to being equal partners by, or like, did you take it for granted that you're, I mean, obviously not for granted, but did you think it is natural that he supports you in that way because you would support him in the same way in another situation? Or did you feel more guilty? I, I think both because rationally, I think I'm uh, entitled to having this balance in our relationship. Um, rationally, I realize that it's only normal that we both take up 50% of um, the, uh, the, the workload, if you want to call it that, of, of raising a kid. And it is actually divided like that because I work four days a week and he works three and a half, four days a week. Mm -hmm. um, and he takes up his share in, in housekeeping stuff as well. Um, But I think on an emotional level, yes, for sure, I was feeling super guilty. I always feel guilty. Mm. Um, every time I make a decision, I think that's maybe, um, I don't know if that's like uh, something that was brought up with or that is because um, it's, it's more of a thing that us women tend to do. But yeah, the moment you start making a choice that kind of remotely feels selfish, um, yeah, you start feeling guilty because I was taught to always, um, you know, put other people first, other people's needs first. Um, so yeah, the moment you start doing something for yourself, which you actually enjoy, um, obviously you feel guilty and then you try to, you know, think that away with, with rational thoughts, but that doesn't work that way. Hmm. But I think you, you, you came to, I mean, you're obviously living in a very modern family concept um i think you've got a very supportive husband who also brings you back on track whenever you're spaced out too much which gives you a very healthy work-life balance um but still after boston where you didn't know if you would do it again you did compete in aeropress <laughs> <laughs> and then and then the, the short journey from from the netherlands to sydney was <laughs> scheduled <laughs> it, was, it wasn't necessarily to, we actually had a bit of a fight about that as well, because mm. I, you know, with the Aeropress, with the Dutch Aeropress Championship, it was, um, I, I hadn't, I literally didn't realize, I didn't consider the fact that I might win. Mm. I, I the, rolled for yeah. because Aeropress is a fun night out and it was held in my hometown. So I could just take my bike, have a beer, have some laughs. Yeah, exactly. Um, just I, one second. Well, just one second for the listeners. Um, we are, for people that aren't so familiar with all of the concepts of uh, all of the competitions, um, there are competitions that use, that take a lot of um, work and that take a lot of preparation. And then there's just other competitions that are um, 
fun, uh, especially the events that are very, very fun. And one of those is AeroPress. So a bunch of people gets around. Um, you don't really need a lot of equipment. Um, and you just make the best AeroPress. And you yeah, won that. Well. Yeah, and everyone has the same coffee. Yeah. So you won that, but the yeah. prize of that was is was um, to go to Sydney. No, it was London actually. Oh, it was London. I wish it was Sydney. It was Sydney was the year before. Yeah, it was London. It was oh, it was the year before. Oh my god, oh, bad research, yeah. Nicole. Bad research. <laughs> no You've done great research on other all sorts. Of things. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so London, okay, closer, but still a journey. Yeah. Yes. At, at like four weeks after the nationals so yeah um well yeah my husband was pretty pissed about that because he was like you know you realize that if you enter any kind of competition you're at risk of winning because <laughs> <laughs> i knew that you know sensibly it was kind of short after boston like as he said he was kind of still recovering from that um And then I was like, hey, guess what? You know, I went out yesterday. Uh, I kind of, you know, brought home the trophy. So do you want to go to London for the week? I kind of tried to, like, package it in a few <laughs> ways. Like, you want to go out for a romantic weekend in London? Uh, I'll just be away for one day to do, like, a little competition thing. But it won't bother you at all. Like, I was kind of mm, um, trying to wrapping it around a little mm. bit. Yeah, he obviously <laughs> is not an idiot. So he kind of... <laughs> he kind of that he was like just give it to me straight um okay but then he yeah he did get pretty pissed with me because he's like you know if you you know you really how can you compete like how can you enroll in any kind of competition and not consider the fact that you might win and that that has consequences like you should think of this before i'm like yes but i wanted it um i just wanted to go to that competition and kind of like make one cup of coffee one cup of coffee and then you know have some beers um so yeah that kind of didn't I, i i saw his point as well um also he couldn't get the time off from his work on such a short notice mm. um so that's um yeah that, that's why he was like yeah i'm not buying the whole let's go to london for a romantic weekend thing um because we both know you're going to be doing your coffee thing mm. and we both know that you're going a little crazy when you're doing your coffee thing uh, so how about you just go to london you bring someone who can do that coffee thing with you and um <laughs> I'll, i'll see you when you get back i'll be here uh to listen to your stories and then um yeah i i, I the same thing happened <laughs> so what did he say when you won the worlds um he said he's things. like i told you so every no, time you compete somewhere you got to bring a bloody trophy back <laughs> No, not at all. He <laughs> said two after I won, he said two things, which was um, enjoy it because you deserved it mm. and thank the people you need to thank at this moment. Mm. And which is I think a very sound advice and which is why it's so handy to have him um, because at that moment you're like obviously, you know, I, I, I had no idea what was happening. Like you feel like a rock star. Um for at least three weeks mm. um which was pretty pretty cool um and and you got to see a little bit because it was so overwhelming um everything that happened for like a couple of weeks after like that huge storm i can't even imagine what it must be like to do that at, at bristol like at a mm. slightly more serious competition um 
it, it must yeah, be it totally be, nuts. It, yeah, it must be completely overwhelming. Um, and I actually, um, my biggest support was I had a, a whole uh, conversation with with uh, Agnieszka, like like a couple of days after, and she gave him gave me some great advice as well to kind of like um, she basically said wait it out <laughs> wait it out the storm will pass and then you'll know like what what to cool do stuff you can take from this and, and yeah just don't take up any offers in the first two weeks um because the good ones or what the fun ones uh will come after uh, after like two to three weeks which was true um mm. yeah so but yeah so i think he, he had such a great advice um, by saying like you know just enjoy it like you did earn it you made it here you're allowed to enjoy this um, which I think is like because it, it's also a thing that you might recognize is that you're kind of tempted it's more polite to kind of downplay it rather than be like fuck yeah yeah. Awesome. So, I don't know what yeah. happened, but it was Look pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can be you can proud. Be you can, you proud ha- you, we have we have a right to be proud when we achieved something. Yes. Yeah. And and even though it's the same thing with like saying no to someone you don't want to dance with, um, it's like, you know, because it's polite to say yes, even though you don't really want to. I think it's we're taught that it's polite to be like modest and even though you achieve something pretty spectacular mm-hmm. it's still oh it's not that big a deal i mean even if it was always the air press is, is maybe a shitty example because you don't necessarily work so hard for it mm-hmm. um but then again you know it's a competition you get to win That's exactly awesome. you still have to perform um, like you still have to it's on a on a very very different level it's kind of like whoever wins barista was the best person on that day right yeah for sure. and and you were in your uh, competition in aeropress the best person on that day which yeah. is still legit yeah for sure and and i think that makes it um still something that you can be proud of and then also because at that point everyone seems to want a piece of you which is very strange um yeah I, that's why i think it was good that that my husband said like okay thank the people you need to thank like for instance um you know that that summer thing when when we were at philip's roastery um the day that we had that fight Mm -hmm. um, about me doing coffee during our vacation time um that was the day that philip gave me his uh like his technique of what he showed me like you know what i've been doing um his aeropress technique yeah, the air pressing me with like the the bypassing and stuff. Like, oh, that was literally the. I mean, people have been doing it for years. I just I've been under a rock apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, I was only taught that that bypass method that summer. So, um, you know that that's that's one of the things that I owe him. And I think what what my husband was trying to tell me is that you know it's it's always important to um, stay true to the people who've stuck through you even through the shitty years. You know, mm. the people. Who've you struggle through whole competition mode because you know if you if you do well then everyone kind of wants to um yeah have a little piece of that and and you you if you become too overwhelmed then you it's very easy to forget the people your roots yeah 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 because you just get too excited or too i don't know but it's it's so easy to kind of forget the people who brought you there because they're mm. usually the people who are 
modest. You will also you know, be there silent. for a long time after that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But these people tend to, like, there, there are people out there who are completely selfless and who spend so much time and effort in watching other or making other people shine. And I have a couple of them around me and it's just, it baffles me that there's people who are like that selfless, who just seem to enjoy so much making it possible for me to shine on that stage. Like that, that's literally what makes them happy. I mean, what makes me happy is shine on that stage, but I can't do that without these people who enjoy so much making that happen for me. And I think those are the people that you need to value and, and need to keep close and not forget in the moment you get there to that point that you want to get to. Mm, because you see all of these big coffee people or these like world champions and, and they get kind of like glorified, but it is usually the work of a whole team behind them and of yeah, other people. It, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, you can't do it alone. Exactly. Um, we are talking a storm and um, I do still have a, a topic that I usually like to cover in this podcast. Um, and that's my She's the Barista podcast questions. Um, and as I think you are one of the strongest female baristas I've ever met, to be honest, um, I'd like to ask you a couple of um, focused questions. Is that all right with you? Yeah. Yeah, I'll try to give a focused answer. <laughs> okay, my first question, so, a question that I have for you is, um, which woman has changed or influenced you the most and why? It doesn't need um, to be a coffee person. It can be any woman that you think was very, very important for the person that you have become today. I think I'm going to be super, super cheesy and... And go for Agnieszka mm. because um, just uh, sorry, no. just for our listeners. I mean, obviously, probably everyone knows Agnieszka, <laughs> but um, Agnieszka is the world champion of 2018 in Barista. Um, but she's also a very well experienced competitor. She's an um, incredible role model. She um, keeps competing. She competed in 2019 Coffee Good Spirits. She um, made finals in Coffee and Good Spirits. She made finals in Latte Art. Um, she is still competing this year, so she's she's just a machine. Um, yeah. Just for our listeners, so please yeah. please go yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, so I I um, so I've been following the the World Barista Championships for for years now. I think the first one I saw was was in Melbourne in 2013 when when Pete Licata won, mm -hmm. um, and. I think because I was I was working as a volunteer in 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 Amsterdam in 2018 when uh, uh, when Anyashka won I, I you know that moment that she won it's just goosebumps she was such an unlikely underdog kind of even though she is competition wise a machine but mm. you know there was so many of these veterans there that you know were kind of assumed to start winning and and I think because she's she's such a role model to me because she doesn't glorify anything she's just humble and and kind of just stays true to herself more than anyone that i know um yeah you know she's just she and she's in, yeah and i think she's very inspiring to push more to yeah to go back out she works 
so hard and and you know she put in so much I, I don't think she expected to win that year either um she's kind of still in that like I don't know what's happening to me I just like competing mode mm. um and for the rest she's like you know I still uh I'm just you know she's such an approachable person um and and I think she's I kind of feel that she is accepting that she's very uncool like myself and she's being very open about that as well which <laughs> makes me kind of like oh thank god I'm not alone <laughs> um yeah so I think that was just um I think that, that she's she seems pretty honest about who she is and what she likes to do and um she doesn't pretty it up she's just um real yeah, I like that. yeah that's it hmm all right um also obviously one of one of the most inspiring people for me by the way um Anushka a great great role model for all of us and um she I think she opened a door for a lot of female competitors to to keep on pushing and to keep on going and I think it showed over the last couple of years that um the world's finals are dominated by female winners um so she was the starting domino stone that just that a big I think chain. It's not necessarily the fact that 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 she won, but the way she won mm. that gave me the feeling like, well, if she can do it, maybe I can do it too. Exactly. Because she didn't make it such a uh, such a scientific lap. Yeah, or such a complicated thing mm. about it. She just worked really hard. She put in the work, um, but she didn't become. She didn't have like a huge ego to go with it. Usually, when people start getting better at stuff their ego grows along uh you know simultaneously and and i think with her because she was so surprised caught by surprise herself as well Mm. that kind of gave me really like oh okay so she didn't expect to win even though you know she might have a great uh choice or a great a chance like everyone else competing um yeah she ended up kind of accidentally take not accidentally but you know the 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 feeling um of like kind of yeah, as an underdog taking home that that biggest prize there is in the coffee industry. Um, I think that was just, yeah, so inspirational. I think she actually won because she was the most approachable out of the, out of the whole competition field um, yeah. by being by being actually just her being really real and being like, I like customer service. I have no idea about um, lots of different chemical researches or or anything like this so she just went there she was herself and this is what um what we've all seen i've I've been in front of the stage in in um, amsterdam you've been backstage and the moment she won i was nearly crying i had goosebumps i was just like oh my god the most approachable the most um the person that I could relate to the most and I could understand the whole routine actually won. It's incredible. That's the thing, yeah, because I, I think it becomes intimidating because there are so many competitors who are talking about stuff. Obviously, I think the key is to make your competition about something that you are excited about and that you get and that is close to your heart. Mm. And if that is super complicated, science stuff, then good for you um i'm i'm you know there's a reason i studied english and not math <laughs> I, i'm i'm super honest about the fact that i'm really shitty at that technical stuff i mean that doesn't mean that i'm not willing to put in the work to 
to know it. Mm. Like I'll, I'll learn what I need to, to be able to make a good cup of coffee, but it's not what excites me. It's not what, you know, makes me get up in the morning and go to my work. Um, and your competition needs to be about that. And uh, so that, yeah, I agree that that's why Aga's um, run was so relatable because that's more why I like working in coffee mm. rather than getting super enthusiastic about compounds in water, which basically just makes my brain you go know. fizzy. <laughs> oh yeah, I sure. do have to say on that on that point, I do have to say obviously a big, big, big respect for everyone who does do um, research yeah. to their competition. It's just, yeah, I think, the, I, I think to do that. <laughs> exactly. The both of us <laughs> are just more on the on the. <laughs> Yeah, on the side of being like, we're just uh, like I would say it in my own words. I'm just too stupid to do that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so like, and I've got so friends. much respect. I've got so much respect for everything, everyone who's going there and um, changing the industry by re- revolutionary um, ideas. But at the same time, especially this year, every single word she said, I could relate to. I think that was a very um, interesting moment for me. Um, so, one more question. Um, I know that you're an advocate for involving more women in coffee and that you would like to see more female competitors. But at the same time, um, I usually say that no one stops us. I mean, you competed, I competed. There's no, um, there's no letter that says women can't compete. It is impossible. So what do you think can we do to encourage more women to compete? Because obviously it's just the step that they have to take. I think... Um... The one, the only thing we can do is keep it as approachable and as as simple as possible. Like, I try to be honest always about, you know, I, I don't have all the answers. I'm not the best barista. I was just the best that day of the competition. Like everything came together, um, and and you know, uh, I I try to be just honest about that and that I struggle and that I'm not very good at the sciencey part of the coffee making and um, you know the fact that I feel guilty that I'm, I'm torn between uh, having a family or, or being a mother being a good mother being the perfect mother preferably mm. um, and and being a, a good barista and um, I think just you know admitting that that is a struggle every damn day is is the only way, you know, that, that hopefully people will realize, okay, so everyone struggles. That's a fact of life. Um, because I always, I used to think that that wasn't the case. Mm. Um, I was the only one struggling because, and that made me think that I was doing something wrong, but everyone struggles. Um, everyone has shitty days. Um, I mess up as a barista, as, as a, as a, uh, a bar manager, as a, as a, uh, a trainer, as a, as a mother, every single day I was just lucky enough to not mess up on competition day because I was prepared because I did the work um and yeah just I I think we should just try and you know be be honest about that and not make things prettier or leave that part out the part where we struggle the part where we fall the part where we you know look ridiculous um the part where we do yoga to maintain our sanity. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the, the, you know, the, 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 the price that we pay, I think we should be super honest about that because there's always a price to pay. 
And yeah. I think people tend to forget that once you achieve something, like, oh, you know, she, she just, um, they only see the achievement and not, you know, the, the world. Not the struggle behind it. Face. Yeah. And I think even, you know, men who are combining uh, a family with competition, they pay almost the same price. I, I Definitely not the same, but, you know, they pay a similar price. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I know a lot of, <laughs> yeah, I definitely know a lot of um, male competitors and I'm, I'm working with them and they sacrifice their private life so much yeah. and um, they also don't talk about it. They talk about a lot of things not that, that have happened to them or that happen to them uh, on a daily basis because they're also worried that it, may, it might make them seem vulnerable, to make them seem um, not tough enough, not hard enough enough but it is not focused enough but it's very very natural um yeah and i can also just encourage everyone to be maybe like you were at your first competition or i was at my first competition i mean obviously you've heard now that (laughs) there's a little bit of research that has to go into it um but yeah i think the first step is to just try it because you can't lose anything it is impossible to lose anything because it would will always be your first competition and you can't um yeah you can't do anything wrong yeah what my what my coach told me years ago um philip was you either win or you learn something and exactly kind of always stuck by me and usually you do both <laughs> yeah well even if you win you learn something um yeah but yeah yeah because yeah for sure so there's no yeah, the, the process, the fun of the competition is is in everything you learn in the road towards the competition day as well. And then if you end up winning, there's there's a cherry on the pie. But especially if you work towards uh, a World Barista Championship, I mean, there's only... I remember the, the first, like when I just got off stage after my competition run in Boston and I looked at all that immaculately clean stuff that my, my team has, you know, cleaned over and over and all the coffee beans that were sorted and all the, you know, I saw on that table, like the hours and hours of work that were put in just to get me to that 15 minutes on that stage. And I was just wondering, like, was this worth it? And at that moment, when I just came off stage, I was like, it's... no, this is not worth it at all. <laughs> but then... <laughs> But then looking back, please, come on. It's it's always worth yeah. it. It's always well, worth it. The next day during the the announcements, even though I didn't make it to the uh, to the semifinals, that was already the day that I realized, oh wait, it was worth it. Yeah. And now when I look back at the videos and the, 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 the pictures of that day of me being on that stage, um So worth it. It's a it's, it's a thing that, it, that sure. no one can yeah. take away from you. I was I was so proud and everything. I think I literally did the best thing I could up there at that point. Mm. Um, and then straight after you become hungry for, but I know I can do even better because now I know more. Mm, exactly. And this is how any any um, career and competition starts. No one no one starts up and is just already the best at what they do. So um, admitting to yourself that there's a process involved um, and that failure is a part of the process, I think is very important. Oprah says, when you do better, you do better. <laughs> okay. On that quote. <laughs> Listen to Oprah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Wendy, I think we could we could talk on for hours. Um, yeah. <laughs> but 
I guess you got to start work at a point. Yeah, yeah. Um, croissants to bake and coffee to brew. Oh, I love you so much. You're just so <laughs> so real <laughs> and so honest. You're you're my you're my Dutch cousin or sister. Yay. We're good. Yeah. Oh, all right. Um, I want to thank you so much for being on my podcast. Thank you um, so much for having me. Thank you so much for all of this insights. This was incredible. Um, I wish you a wonderful day. And I'm going to say a couple of more things to my listeners. And just want to say bye. Bye. Talk soon. <laughs> well. What an incredible guest. Not only a reigning world champion, but a parent, a volunteer, and an advocate for equality in the coffee industry. I think we can take a lot away from what Wendelin had to say. Sometimes, in order to be professional and serious in your career, it's best to not be serious at all. A coffee professional isn't a certain type or style of person. It takes people from all walks of life to make up the industry we love. And following your passions isn't always a straight path. There are roadblocks, bumps and many diversions along the way. The path you take isn't the right or wrong one. It's just your path. Until next time, I'm Nicole and thanks for listening to She's the Barista.